0: I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts in your Bibles this morning. While you're doing that, it's my privilege to welcome each of you to church this morning in the house of the Lord. If you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here, always are. I'm seeing a few faces I haven't seen in a while, and that's great. And uh, not to forget those who are watching from home, glad to have you with us as well. And one announcement I thought I would mention, we've been making note of this for a number of weeks, uh, we have about a dozen folks who've expressed interest in our membership class. That's enough for a class, so we're going to get that started uh, the 27th of this month, that's the last Sunday of the month, three weeks from today. That'll go for eight weeks, to finish up on May 15th uh, before the holiday and any traveling may take place. Uh, If you're interested at all, had any thoughts about joining Wake Chapel, uh, this class would be a good place to start. There's no obligation. Uh, You're not on the hook for anything other than learning more about what we do, how we do that, and uh, I look forward to seeing some of you there. Before we read our text in Acts, though, we're going to go through our catechism for the week. We're all the way in week 10 now. And I think the time changes, what, next Sunday? It'll be spring before you know it. Time is flying. We must be having fun, right? (laughs) So um, let's look at our catechism for week number 10. There it is on the, the screen. I'll read the question and then we'll all answer together. What does God require in the fourth and fifth commandments? Fourth... That on the Sabbath day, we spend time in public and private worship of God, rest from routine employment, serve the Lord and others, and so anticipate the eternal Sabbath. Fifth, that we love and honor our father and mother, submitting to their godly discipline and direction. Good job. Uh, Each time we do this, some... Times we can fit more on a page, sometimes others. I think I'm going to have to tell David that my eyes are 43 years old now, even though I've, I've had them examined in the half the right context. All the way on the back wall there has become difficult a few times. It just blurs. Um, at any rate, my Bible's right in front of me. I should do better with this. So let's look at chapter 8, the end of chapter 8 of the book of Acts. This is our portion for this morning. We've been studying the book of Acts for weeks now, actually back since October. And one of the interesting things about studying your Bibles verse by verse, it seems the Lord gives us an extra measure of blessing from time to time when He'll give us just what we need when we need it. Uh, Typically, uh, traditionally rather, March at Wake Chapel is Missions Emphasis Month, and every year looks a little different. A few years back, uh, we had many of our missionaries come to be present with us. We listened to their reports. Some of them would preach, um, where we were able to travel some uh, by Zoom before any of us knew what Zoom was. This was before uh, the pandemic. And then we shifted that to Wednesday evenings last year we're studying this catechism on Wednesday evenings now but if there were a hot spot even in the book of acts which is a book about missions and about evangelism there are a few chapters which seem to showcase the idea of taking the gospel to places it's never been that would be chapter 8 9 and 10 which is exactly where we land in the book of in the month of march so The Lord knows what He's doing as we work our way through this. Let me read to you a familiar story uh, to many of us, beginning in verse 26. The Bible says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, A court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the Scripture, he passed through, he preached the gospel to all. Pray, ask his help, and then we'll get started. Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, the last part of chapter 8, recorded by Luke, under your inspiration. Lord, would you open to us its meaning, and may we obey what we see needs to change in our lives. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and the opportunity to study it together. Lord, would you change us? We ask all this in your name. Amen. Well, this is one of the better-known passages in Acts. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. As such, it gets more pulpit time. If you happen to sit down and find out the book you're learning from is Acts, this is likely one of the passages you may be hearing from. Problem with popular, well-known passages of Scripture is that the other lesser-known passages can be overlooked. That's why we commit ourselves to preaching verse by verse. We cover the stuff we haven't heard before perhaps and we cover the stuff we have heard before. Familiarity is, is a bigger problem because we want to assume that since we've heard this a hundred times maybe we've got it under our belt. It's like driving down a road you've been down a hundred times. There's probably some details you've missed because you think you've seen them all. There's another difficulty with this passage and that is because it has within it a number of theological um, implications. And when we come across a, a passage like that, that can be taught in so many different directions, a rabbit trail in, in, in all directions, sometimes we'll jump quicker to the application portion. Problem with that is it application usually focuses the attention on ourselves okay what do I do with this maybe I can get a few tips for evangelism out of a passage like this after all that's what Philip is doing or maybe I can settle that debate at work with that fellow over baptism because baptism is is here too Uh, not only that there's something about angels there's the passage that has to do with the suffering servant in Isaiah we could start here and finish in Isaiah There's actually a good bit of things to learn about principles of biblical interpretation here, how you take prophecy and you understand Jesus. Here's what we'll do today, though, because we're studying the book of Acts. The question we'll ask ourselves is this, why did Luke include this study in the eighth chapter of his book, The Acts of the Apostles? We might not get into these other things. Not that they're not important. Um, But I don't think that Luke wrote this to settle debates on baptism. I don't think he wrote this to give us tips on evangelism. Uh, I think he wrote it to complete his purpose in writing. And that is to show how the church spread after Jesus rose and went back to heaven. How the gospel spread from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the world. We've been talking about this every week. You can summarize this book no matter where you are with this, this simple sentence. Gospel keeps going out. God keeps bringing people in. It's just different people at different places. Started in Jerusalem and it spread from there. So that'll be our, our, our purpose today. And the purpose is first to understand what we're reading. Because we don't have much hope of obeying if we don't understand it first. So we understand it, then we'll work on applying it. And we'll have some points at the end to try to tie it up in a bow. So uh, Luke is telling a larger story. This series of events help him tell that story. He can't write everything. So what he chooses is for the purpose of the direction he's teaching us. And what God is saying, what he's saying, adds into that idea the word keeps going out. God keeps bringing people in. As more people understand who Jesus is and what he did for them, they believe and become part of the church. So just as Jesus had said before his ascension, you'll start in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the world. Now, so far, what we've been, we're in chapter 8, we start in chapter 1. How do we chart that? Judea, check. Jerusalem, that's where it started, check. Samaria, that was last week, check. Right now we're knocking on the door of the uttermost parts of the world. Philip is going to be sent away, outside even Samaria. We're going to see this person come to Christ. The paragraph break, if you're looking back at your Bible, between verse 25 and verse 26, the end of the previous paragraph Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. That's Peter and John. Remember, they were sent from Jerusalem when they heard that people were saved in Samaria. So they went to lay their hands on them to make sure they had the Holy Spirit. Uh, We talked about what that meant, the significance of it. But I think between 25, where Peter and John are headed back to Jerusalem from Samaria And then verse 26, where the angel of the Lord said to Philip, you get up and go towards the south. Be a great place for the word meanwhile, wouldn't it? You know I like the word meanwhile because it it ties two uh, scenes of adventure together. Sometimes it's bad guys doing something while the good guys are doing their thing and someplace they're going to intersect. These don't intersect, but while you've got Peter and John going back to preach, you've got Philip being sent on another special ops but in a new territory so Luke uses the word now but look at the setup there angel of the Lord said to Philip now the Holy Spirit may prompt you to go somewhere or to speak to someone this is a little taller than that the angel of the Lord Uh, this This could have been audible, we're not told. This could be similar to what Saul saw on the road to Damascus, we're not told. But it's official. He's on official business here. Um, Let's see here. It's not clear whether the desert place, if you notice that, go down toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is a desert place. Whenever there's a sentence all by itself that talks about the geographical location, I'm thinking, what's the significance of that? Really, that's kind of just a plain Greek sentence that doesn't even tell us if the desert place has to do with the destination, the target destination, or the road that leads to it. All I get out of that, I guess that we're supposed to get out of it, is that it's a desert. If I'm Philip, I would prepare accordingly, take a lot of water, I think what we're supposed to be thinking, though, is this is remote. He's gone to the boonies. That's what it would have been called when I grew up. We lived in the boonies. So we thought, you guys must have thought you lived in the boonies a few years ago. And then everybody else thought this is such a great place to live, too. They're building houses all through the boonies down here. But in this place, the last city on this road before Africa was Gaza. And it may be the newer Gaza or the older Gaza, they're kind of in the same vicinity, but you're on the coastal plain of uh, the Mediterranean, in the middle of nowhere. That's what this man is told to do. But he doesn't get that far. He, by God's appointment, runs into this fellow on his way up the road as Philip is headed down. Uh, This man that he met from that region... um, is not only a eunuch. And I would suppose the word eunuch gets most of the attention in his description. We learned what a eunuch was when we studied through the book of Esther. That a eunuch uh, was... A person would have been made a eunuch when conscripted into the king's service. The idea was that you could trust them more when they didn't have as many distractions. Um... But this was not all that uncommon, and even not all that long ago, unfortunately. But we're told more. The man was an important official who was the queen's treasurer. Uh, the word Candace was a title. That's not actually her name. I've known some people named Candace, but that was a, um, a term of, of, of dynasty, actually. The, the Her husband, the king, would have been saw by their religion and their government as being godlike, and running a country was beneath him. So it was the queen mother's uh, actual responsibility to run the government. This man is her treasurer. so he's important, and he's probably very wealthy himself. Um, let's see what else. Man was on his way home, or we learned that. He had been in Jerusalem, and he had been worshiping. That is where the story gets interesting, because that's an oddity. This, this man may be a Jew, but he lives in Ethiopia. Had he settled there, or was he himself Ethiopian? We're not told, but the idea was that that's what we've got here. Doubtless, um, one of the many feaster festivals was what he had attended. And on his way home, he's reading Isaiah. That's even more strange. They didn't have Bibles. And if they did, they were very expensive and they were very big. They were scrolls, actually. And Isaiah, being one of the biggest of the Old Testament books, that's some scroll. And it, it would have been very costly. if you. Most of them were housed in synagogues. You went to church to hear someone read. Well, this man's reading it himself on his chariot, as it's described. That's when the Spirit speaks again to Philip. All right, you're there. This is him. Move in. So we read that he runs up. So this thing's in motion, this man Philip. And remember, he's not one of the apostles. He's one of the first deacons remember that he'd been teaching to crowds earlier this man Simon the magician listened to it as well so the man who's been speaking to crowds is now dispatched to go speak to one person in the middle of nowhere when he's identified he's running alongside the caravan of sorts and hears this man reading Isaiah he's reading it out loud now I had to check because I didn't know if I wanted to believe it. First person you hear something that sounds weird you you usually go hmm we'll see about that. You hear two or three people say it you might still want to hold out. Some folks just well they call that early adopters and late adopters. All of the commentaries I read basically said the same thing. Everybody read out loud back then. And there's a number of reasons why. One they didn't have books. So when they found a book They probably weren't very good at reading. And then I thought, you know, that's the way we all learn to read, isn't it, in school? Does the teacher say, all right, now stand up and read silently? (laughs) No, you read out loud in front of everybody. And the reading out loud helps you look and it helps you pronunciate and it helps you hear what you're saying. And the rest of the class hears what you're saying. They hear when you do it right. They hear when you do it wrong. I still hated reading out loud in college just because let somebody else do it. But this is how they read. It's the way they would read in the synagogue, not the way we do it now. If someone's reading out loud, you're probably sitting in some type of a training class or a courtroom or, or something like that. But in this case, he's reading out loud. Philip hears it and asks his famous question Do you understand what you're reading? Now, I had to look this up too because I grew up reading the King James Version, as as many of you may have. The ESV, that's what I read from this morning. The RSV, which is what the ESV was built upon. The NIV, it's been around a long time. And the NASB, which some of you have. Uh, Pastor Ross, that was the version he taught from. All of them say the very same thing. Do you understand what you are reading? Except for the King James Version. And this is one of the reasons why I think it might not be as popular as it used to be. Understandest what thou readest. <laughs> That'll be a little tougher to sh- shout from, you know, the and of course this wasn't written yet and they didn't have translations back then. All they have was the Old Testament. But understandest what thou readest is his question. The response is no. Unless somebody guide me, I'm lost, basically. That word guide is a technical word. It's used again and again in the New Testament in reference to authority. Now, I I don't know if we think of it that way. If you hire a, a guide to go fishing, you hope he's an authority on it, right? You really don't want to find out later you know more than he knows and you wasted your money. If you need a doctor for some type of procedure. You want a credentialed doctor with, with, with the authority to practice medicine, right? Somehow this man recognizes the authority that Philip has. And maybe that was conveyed in the way he asked the question. Do you understand what, what you're reading? Jesus used the same term when he was referring to the teachers in his day as being blind guides. They didn't have authority. But this man, Philip, does. He has the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's invited uh, to board the caravan. Now, think through what has happened up to the point from where we began. Philip's given some instructions, goes to the middle of nowhere, um, finds this man, hears the word of God being read, asks if he understands it. The man says, no, I need a guide. And at that, that point, this is where Luke gives us the passage that was being read. It's the passage that has to do with the uh, suffering servant. As we, we, we read about that at, 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 at Easter it's linked closely with the parts of Isaiah that talk about the Easter, uh, the Christmas story rather, Christmas and Easter. Plan of redemption begins when Jesus was sent to Earth. It ends when it is finished on the cross. Uh, very important pieces of, of of prophecy here. But if we're talking about strange things, strange that it's the middle of nowhere, strange that uh, this man has. His own copy of Isaiah. Strange that he's reading it out loud. Not really. But very strange that he asks the question he's about to ask. This guy who's speaking, Isaiah. Talking about this suffering servant who's killed. And no one can talk about his life. He's gone. And there's no justice in his humiliating end. Is he talking about himself Or is he talking about somebody else? What's odd about that is not even the the professionals, the the scribes and Pharisees had ever asked that question. Nobody in the first century, as far as we know, ever talked about expecting a suffering servant, but rather a triumphant Messiah. We don't want to be under the yoke of, of Rome anymore. We want to go back to our heyday. Everybody wants this. And and we find all these ways to rationalize how God wants us each to be in charge, don't we? I mean, how many sermons have we heard about how we need to get America back to the way it was when we were all on the same team? I don't know, but evangelism may work better if they didn't grow up in church and heard it all wrong. God knows what he's doing. And he'll send us places where the message needs to be told. And if the people kill us in so doing, he's got a fix for that too. He'll raise us from the dead. We live forever in heaven, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's quite a, 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 an adventure to think through. But no one had ever thought of that. They've all got their idea. And they so had their own idea that when Jesus came and said, I'm him, they said, no, you're not. That's... <laughs> You're not the Messiah we're looking for. they killed him over it as a blasphemer. This fellow, who's been to Jerusalem to worship, but he's a foreigner, probably a proselyte, reading the book of Isaiah, asks a fantastic question and gets the correct answer. But if, if you chart the lead up to his hearing and understanding the gospel, Um, if the fact that he was reading proved his interest I think it does who reads their Bible unless they're interested or want to and if his confession proved his ignorance yeah I need a guide without a guide I'm lost and don't let the word ignorance bother you there all of us are ignorant there's a lot more in this world that we don't know anything about than the handful of stuff that we do know about right? So, understanding your ignorance is a great thing because from that point, then you can learn about something. He, it's refreshing that he says, No, I don't understand it. If someone in this setting were to ask you if you understand, what are you going to say? Mm, yeah, sure. <laughs> Whether you do or not? Mm, yeah, yeah. I've heard it a bunch of times. It's a great question. Somebody help me, I need a guide. Let this passage of Scripture, explain the other passage of Scripture, but I need to know this stuff. How else am I going to obey any of it if I don't understand it? So he's interested, he's reading. He's ignorant because he's confessed he doesn't know these things. But this question here, I think, proves the work of the Spirit. I don't think you can get a question like that out of nowhere. I think it shows that the Spirit's working. He's already brought Philip there. This man's reading. And now his eyes are looking and it dawns on him, well, who's he talking about? Is this Isaiah or is this someone else? So Philip starts with Isaiah 53, right where he is, and he tells him the rest of the story. That's what Luke tells us. He explains to him the good news of the gospel of Jesus. The story ends with baptism. Uh, after uh, and who knows all what they said. I don't think we have access verbatim to the whole discussion. Ends with baptism. They come upon some water. What prevents me from being baptized? Then their ways are parted. Philip continues preaching his way up the coast, starting with Ashdod. That's the um, more familiar name of the, the place that we read a while ago. Ashdod is down there near Gaza, the coast. In fact, years ago you used to hear all of the shelling from the Gaza Strip coming from Gaza and Ashkelon and Ashdod, all those places we could find them. You know, in the last book of the Bible known as maps, you know, after Revelation, you can find every one of those. Do that later. Tell them you found it in the book of maps. All right. Those last few verses, and I just say this in passing, i would written a note to do so, are probably more well-known and, and more famous, not for what actually lives in those words by way of content, but with some presumptions and maybe some speculation on our part over the years. When we find ways we want to organize ourselves that are not necessarily crystal clear in Scripture. Sometimes we've got to find it where it's not there. (laughs) It's bad habit. I've heard this verse used so many times to justify baptism by immersion, which is the way I believe it should be done. You go all the way under the water like you're dead and buried and come all the way up like you've risen again, dead to the old man, alive to the new man. And there are other places in Scripture that are very good places to say that's how we should do it. But I've heard people say because it's described as they went down into the water, that means they went all the way down. Only problem is it refers to both of them. And if this is where we learn how to do baptism, that means I've been doing it wrong the whole time because I didn't go under two. (laughs) And then both of them came back up out of the water. I mean, that'd be tough. All right, we'll hold each other's noses. We both both go down, we both come up. And then every time I've ever heard the story, it says that Philip vanished, like disappeared, right out of the seat of the chariot. And again, two weeks ago I told you to think about Ben-Hur, and we're talking about Roman citizenship and all. Don't think Ben-Hur here. This chariot's not like those chariots. Those are Roman chariots for war. This was a convoy, probably with waving palms and maybe people carrying it and a whole bunch of people. But the idea is that he disappeared and then he just appeared in Ashdod. But that's, that's not what it says. It just says the Spirit led him away. Well, the Spirit led him down the road. The Spirit led him to run alongside So there's nothing that says that this has to be a miracle transportation, teleportation type thing. It might have been, but it doesn't say it clearly. Why do I bring this up? Because we need to be careful with the way we interpret the words God gave us. He's revealing himself to us. We need to get it straight. We need to be honest with it. And we need to, to listen first to learn, and then we obey. All right, let's make some points. How do we apply this to ourselves or others? Some of these, if you think of these points as shoes, some may fit. Some may fit better than others. Some may not fit. There are three. But let's just look at how this worked and ask ourselves, does it work the same way now? Is it working for us? Number one, have you considered what God may be doing to bring you to Himself? That's the way the scriptures describe it. That no man comes to the Father but through Jesus. And also, no man comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. That if we're saved and we know it, God started that. He's the first mover. Question is, have you ever considered or are prepared to acknowledge that the Lord has been working on you a lot longer than you thought? Sometimes we think that the first thought we think when we decide we're going to go to church or uh, receive the Lord Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, even hear it in, in in the way that we explain our testimony. On such and such a date, I got saved. Long before you were saved, Jesus was working behind the scenes to you to bring you where you needed to be. I look at it and say, I was born a pastor's kid. I had no choice. I did have a choice. Or did I have a choice? I'm going to blame it all on the Lord. Because if there were any way for it to be ruined, I would have ruined it. Right? I'm full of sin. I'm a selfish person. I'm blind to so many things spiritually. I'll never know how blind I really was until I can actually see for For real, in glory, everything's through a glass darkly, as the King James describes the passage in in Hebrews. Have you considered what God may be doing to bring you to Himself? Maybe this is in past tense for you. You already know the Lord. Maybe this is what's going on now, if you are still unsure about some of these things. Maybe you're like the man reading. You're interested. Maybe you're... uh, Clear enough to say there's a lot of this I don't know that doesn't make sense. But have you acknowledged that maybe the Lord is is the one doing this? I mean, just, just think of the picture. What it would have been like. All right, go down this road to the middle of nowhere, past the last city on the way to Africa. That's what we're told. He arose and went. And lo and behold, that's not in the text. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, on his way up the road. This wasn't an accident. It was a divine appointment set up by the Lord. He worked the whole thing out. No coincidence. Ever thought through the question, why are you here? Not why do you exist, but why are you sitting in a pew on Sunday morning at Wake Chapel, dressed as you are, listening to that guy drone on about stuff from a really old book? And You didn't decide this this morning. Most of you I've seen since I got here. You were here before I got here. The Lord has worked this out. There are three billion plus people on the planet who've never heard the name of Jesus. You're sitting in church. Is that a coincidence? No. Is that a blessing beyond measure? Yes. But to think through it that way, why are you here? Why are you sitting here? What are you doing with what you're learning while you're here? Point number two. Do you understand what the Scriptures say about Jesus? And this could be someone who's, who's working their way through. It doesn't make sense yet. Do you understand what it says about Jesus? This could be asked to those who've been here a long time. Can you do what Philip did? Well, what did Philip do? Well, verse 30, he ran to him and heard him reading... Then he says, what do, you underst- do you understand what you're reading? And then the Ethiopian says, how can I unless someone guide me? Then he's invited to come up and sit in the chariot. Then Philip opened his mouth, beginning with the scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. Can you take something from this half of your Bible and get your way to this side of the Bible and tie Jesus to all the stuff that foretold his coming? If somebody's sitting in an airplane somewhere is reading, and you're like, <gasps> he's reading the Bible. Now, you might sit down in a restaurant and hear Christian music, depending on you know, where you're eating lunch. Now, the Southern Baptist Convention owns Chick-fil-A now. I don't know if you saw that. They bought it. I'm kidding. <laughs> Y'all are like, wow, that's That's, that's great. but you would say that it's more likely that you'd hear christian music in a restaurant that's got good chicken <laughs> than sitting on a plane listening to somebody read the bible but if they're reading the bible and you feel so moved to say do you understand it and they say what does this mean can you help them figure it out the idea is philip would not have been much used to this ethiopian if he didn't know his bible that's why we spend the majority of our time in these buildings teaching this book from little babies all the way up to the oldest of our wisdom. That's what we do. We study it and study it and study it so that when it's time, we can help them connect the dots. That, that was the problem. The Ethiopian knew some things about Jesus. He knew some things about the Bible, but he hadn't been able to put it all together. He hadn't been able to understand that that's how this works. We're sinners. We have no standing before God. He sent his son to become a man and die in our place who did obey. And he's going to give us credit for his obedience. And he's going to pay for our sins. That's the transactional significance of the gospel of Jesus. But could you help someone that way? Point number three. What prevents you from acting on this good news? Now this, of course, would primarily be for someone who has yet to say, I believe. The indication here is that this fellow was ready. As they were going along the road, came to some water. Eunuch said, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Good question. Commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him. He's ready. Don't want to wait. That's kind of what I've shared with some of you about our children. I, 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 want, I want them to demonstrate they can't wait. Preacher's kids are some of the, the, the ones who have the toughest time differentiating what's truth that's my truth. Or truth that's my parents' truth. And wanting to make my parents' Happy that I do what they do. But when this has to become your own, not your parents or anyone else's. It's nice when you see someone says, I can't wait any longer. I gotta make this right. I want to be baptized. That's what he says here. And they take care of it. Question is what's holding you back? Baptism doesn't have anything to do with the salvation part. It's just how you recognize it. It's like this wedding ring. I want to tell everybody else I'm married. Baptism says I want to tell everybody else I'm saved. There's a couple of things that fall out of this that might be worth mentioning to close here. Until you're ready to do this, until this makes sense, until you know in your heart you believe, there's some things that may hold you back. Ideas like, maybe this isn't for me. This is for other people. That's a big deal these days. You have to be, what, authentic? Be yourself? It's not cool to say what other people do isn't cool. As long as they like it, that's good for them. Though we have a tendency to say, this is who I am and you must accept it and love it as much as I do. And that's, that's, that's how we, we advertise ourselves, you know. Um, the idea at, at work here is either this book is true and it goes for everybody and it's life or death. Or it's one big fat lie and it's no good for anybody because who would lie about things that are so important? We've got to decide. It's not just like, well, these folks over here have their religion, these folks over here have their religion, these folks have their religion, and that's all cool. As long as they've got one and they're nice people, because we don't like mean people, as, as long as everybody's happy, then it's all good. The contents of this Bible say there's only one way to heaven the way, the truth, and the life. That's Jesus. It actually says that all the rest of them are wrong. It's the most narrow minded statement in all the world, not just the Bible. So we've got to figure that out. Is this true? And if it is, we've got to grab it with both hands because it means life or death. Does it make sense, though? Because to grab a hold of it with both hands without understanding, it wouldn't be genuine. Uh, It's kind of like taking a life insurance policy from some kid on a bike in your neighborhood for $3, sign it, and just believe, hey, he's going to take care of me when I'm old. My family, that is, after I'm dead. You've got to make sure this is credential. Does it hold together? Yes, it does. But you've got to know it for yourself. This man's reading. He's interested. This man's asking questions. Questions are answered. And then there comes a time where he's ready to act on the good news and take the free gift Jesus gave paid for on the cross. Now what I like about the way the story goes is because this isn't Peter sitting on a dock somewhere with a guy he's fished with all his life, grew up in the same place. They're talking about these same things. And all he really has to do is just make the guy think through it. He's honest with himself and he says, "I believe." That's a likely story, right? You might have stories that sound like that. I don't think any of you have any stories that sound like this. You may i have heard stories of people seeing a bum on the side of the road, late for preaching, rolls down the window, throws out a tract. Guy reads the tract, believes years later is sitting in an auditorium where this fella tells that story. And he said, that was you that went down the road? There are some stories like that, but most of us, these stories kind of fit together. What I like about this one is it's so far-fetched. If there was an exhibit A of someone who could say, no, that's for you guys. We got our stuff over here. I think I'm good. You, be, you keep it real and we'll keep it real. Think about it. Scott didn't grow up in Judaism. He's a proselyte, so God had been working along the way. He doesn't look at all like any of these people from Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria. Uh, there's so many different things we could mention that are different. It's ridiculous. But here's what's cool. What's he reading? Isaiah, that might be the only book he's got, but from within that book, there's a lot to be said that's not even mentioned in this story, but I thought you might find it helpful. And again, this may, if you don't know some of these things, it might give you more questions. That's good too. You can track them down later. But in Isaiah 11, 11, here's what is said. In that day, the Lord will extend His hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of His people. That's happened once. It's going to happen later. And then he lists a group of geographical places where His people are. A remnant scattered from Assyria. That makes sense. Because Assyria took them off after they captured the city. As as what they call it, Uh, not refugees, but uh, slaves. Then from Egypt, well, that was earlier, though they had been slaves in Egypt, they left Egypt. And then from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. That's similar to where they are geographically right now. All those places were not places where the Jews dispossessed of, of their holdings, during those captivities went. These are places where some of them didn't settle. These are places as of yet, at this point, might not have a remnant. Now, how many of you know that Cush, we just read about, is Ethiopia? There's at least one convert headed back home. You've got to wonder if he goes home and reads, hey, I wonder if that was me or is able to put that together. But if you think that's cool, if you just were in Isaiah 53 and fast-forwarded three chapters in Isaiah 56, here's what it said. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. That's the proselyte. Don't ever let that guy say that I have less than what God's own children have, right? Right? And let not the eunuch say. He was a foreigner and a eunuch. From Cush, right? Behold, I am a dry tree. I have no children. For thus saith the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. This is what the people who read Acts for the first time would have had access to. Connect the dots, maybe, maybe not. But think about that. If you needed or wanted to know anything about Jehovah God for millennia, You had to learn Hebrew because they're the only ones that knew anything about it. But then when Jesus comes to earth, most of the world is speaking Greek. Much of what is written is written in Greek. It doesn't stop there. It goes into different languages, different people. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. English. That's way down the road from this. But what we're reading is is God saying, I didn't come to die just for the apple of my eye, known as Judaism. Hebrew people. He came to bless the whole world. All the way to the ends of the world. This is just the beginning. But you see how, as if Luke is, is drawing a map Of the spread of the gospel. And it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. How? The gospel is preached. People believe. It's that simple. Later, we'll talk about baptism. Later, we'll talk about evangelism. Later, we'll talk about these other things. But I think we've got enough. Word keeps going out. God keeps bringing people in and I wrote this to sign off with, let's pray for our missionaries because I think the happiest missionary on the world would love to be able to operate in something so simplistic to just meet up with and start right where God brings the investigator and then just preach the gospel from there, right? We want to make it so complicated like we got to teach them the whole Bible. He might bring them to you with the question already in their mind. Start there and drive to Jesus. It works that easy. We make it complicated. Like it's all based on our persuasion. I'm not good at it as a salesman. No, in fact, if you're good at selling the gospel, you're more like that fellow Simon Magus from last week who we're pretty sure wasn't even saved to start with. Gospel's not for sale. It's free. All you got to do is believe it. So to kick off Missions Month, we've been fed well. Compliments of the last paragraph of Acts chapter 8. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for what it is you've blessed us with. For the truth to just think our way through all the ways in which you led us to the point of belief in you would you lead us to a place where someone is about to do the same and would you give us what needs to be said to help them connect the dots lord give us authority to speak as we are patient but committed to study your word to understand it first for the purpose of obeying it for your glory and honor Lord, would you give us someone to talk to? Would you set up a special ops mission? Send us somewhere. Down the street or the other side of the world. But Lord, would you find us useful and find us faithful? Lord, we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.